0: From pastoring patients in the hospital during a pandemic to pastoring a local church under the restrictions of COVID 19, you're about to meet a local Columbus pastor who has met the needs not only of his church and his hospital, but his community in a year unlike any other. Stay tuned. There is the Word, there is the Way, and brothers and sisters who find strength in their belief. We meet faces of faith with Phil Scoggins. Welcome in. This is the 10th edition of Faces of Faith. I'm your host, Phil Scoggins, and I am bringing you a guest uh, from close by. He is the senior chaplain at Piedmont Columbus Regional, as well as a local pastor. I'd like to introduce Dr. Marlon Scott, Sr. And Marlon, thank you so much for being here in our podcast studio. And we look forward to the next hour of talking with you.
1: Phil, it's just a blessing to be here, and uh, I feel the spirit already. I'm excited.
0: Well, one of the things that I like to do is uh, assume that the folks who are tuning in and listening in to us uh, may not know who you are, may not know your background. And to be honest uh, with our viewers, this is the first time today that we've met. So I want to dive in, uh, do a deep dive into your background, uh, hear your story. Uh, where you're from? Uh, talk about you know your growing up years, how you came to know the Lord, and we will get to a, a lot of other topics a little later on in the conversation. But let's let's learn as much as we can about uh, Marlon and Scott and, and take us back.
1: Well, this is great feel because you know I feel like I already know you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I can say thanks for watching. <laughs> yeah, you've been in my living room for <laughs>
1: over 20 years. You're right. So well, thank is- you. Thank yes, you for that. Yes, and, and I've in, enjoyed um, you bringing the news to this community, and you've done it with such class, and so it's just a pleasure uh, to be here today. Uh, my background, I'm from Augusta, Georgia.
0: Great. Master's territory. From
1: master's territory. Yes. I've, I've been there at least 20 <coughs> times. The, wow. the golf tournament is 20 minutes from my house. Uh, When I've gone out into the world, when I tell people I've been there 20 times and I didn't know really what a big deal it was Mm -hmm. until I went out. Um, Just a quick story about that. And then I'll get into my upbringing. Sure. First time my father took me to the (laughs) Masters. I said, Dad, who is that tall guy right there? He said, "That's, that's Wilt Chamberlain. (laughs) (laughs)
0: that's going back away That's going
1: back away and then I said dad who was that really muscular guy right there he said oh that's Jim Brown so that that's my (laughs) that's what an introduction yes to the masters yes but um being from Augusta Georgia I am the son of a high school educator high school principal went on to be a board member and a nurse uh my father and mother Just very instrumental uh, in my life. Um, My father, being an educator, (coughs) not the typical educator, because (coughs) excuse me, when he was in uh, he was a military in military, he was a drill sergeant, and so uh, we had a very disciplined upbringing. (laughs) Everything was the army way. I tell people. I didn't have to go into the military because I did 18 years <laughs> <laughs> under Joe Scott. <laughs> and so uh, that was my dad. My mom, on the other hand, was um, a nurse. So she had all the characteristics of a nurse, a Christian nurse, just, mm-hmm. just a loving uh, mother. My my father's been gone over 10 years now. My mother's still alive. We were, we were just together over the weekend. but they instill Christian values into myself and my two brothers. I'm the oldest. And, um, it it was just a delight growing up with my, my family, my mother, my father, and my brothers. Just, just a great, great time. Um, in college, um, my, my parents sent all three of their sons to Morehouse college, the the school of where Dr. King went. Mm -hmm. And, um, there, I I majored in banking and finance. Um, And um, my first, I I grew up in the church, but my first really uh, serious talk with the Lord was um, my freshman year at Morehouse. My mom and dad had just taken me to a Braves game, and they were driving back to Augusta, and um, I got sick. I think I Eating something that really upset my stomach, mm-hmm. It got food poisoning, and um, man, I I really felt like I was about to check out of check out of the earth. And you were l- alone then. I was alone, yeah. you know, um, you know the guys in my dorm and everything. But I remember going out on the football field. And praying to the Lord. I called my aunt. My aunt knew something was going on because I'd been in Atlanta a whole month and I hadn't called her. Mm-hmm. You know, being being a freshman in college. And so I went, I said, Lord, if you save my life, I promise I'll serve you. And uh so I went down to Grady and ran all the tests and everything. I think I stayed in the hospital maybe about three, four days. Oh, and uh um, yeah, it's pretty serious, but they you know they'd get all the checks mm-hmm. and everything, and so the Lord healed me, and I went back to being a college <laughs> guy, uh, <laughs> and uh you know, saying my prayers <laughs> and everything. but I had another experience, my senior year, so um we had this very hard teacher in my senior seminar in in finance. You had to get a C or better in this class. It's a year-long class. You don't pass that class, you got, you'd got you have to come back. Mm-hmm. And so I went to, um, this is the week of graduation. You go to get everything checked off. And the professor said, um, I'm missing one of your grades. And so if I don't have that grade, then you won't be able to graduate. And um then I didn't go on the football field. I went in King Chapel, the, the mm. chapel named after Dr. King. Okay. I went and prayed. I said, Lord, my come, mom, to Jesus come to Jesus me. Come to Jesus me. Yes, indeed. My mom and dad have invited all their friends and everything up, the family and everything. And I have to finish, got to graduate. I, I need a miracle. Mm-hmm. And so I went back to my apartment and looked all through my notes. I found the paper that the teacher said she didn't have. And there was a line of guys waiting to be checked off for graduation. And I got in there and she checked me off. She said, this is it. Check me off. I graduated. And um, about five years after that, Phil, I was working in banking and finance. Mm -hmm. And the Lord tapped me on the shoulder in the worship service and said, you remember those two prayers you prayed? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he got a good memory, doesn't he? <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> the Lord has a great memory. <laughs> when you were at Morehouse, I said, "I'm I'm coming to cash my chips in. I, I want you to serve me." And um, and um, during that time, I had prayed similar to what you we were sharing. I prayed to the Lord because at that time, in the late '80s, bankers weren't starting. Bankers weren't making that much money. And I prayed to the Lord. I said, Lord, I want to be a godly man. I want to be a godly father. And I want to double my income. And um, first thing the Lord did, he he, uh, opened the door for me to to work for what's now Pfizer Pharmaceuticals. Wow. And so he did that. I mean, he answered that prayer um, within three months. I prayed that in January. Within three months, he had answered that prayer and um I had to leave I was working in banking in Nashville and I went up to my my job at Pfizer was in Columbus Ohio and um when I was driving up there all my belongings everything I had could fit into this Suzuki Samurai I don't know if y'all remember those little Jeeps the Suzuki Samurai yeah and I was driving up there, but I, I felt like, feel that I was driving up to Ohio for more than a job. I felt like I was going up there for a calling. And so um, when I got trained, and I'll never forget this, my first day, I fir- completed my first week on the job, and I'm standing in, in front of Grant Hospital where my oldest child would be born a few years later. Um. And this African American gentleman who did the same thing I did, he worked for another company. We struck up a conversation, and I was like, Hey, I'm new in town. You can show me around and all this kind of stuff. Well, he told me about, he, he started talking about Jesus. He started talking about the Lord. And he asked me, both of us had on suit and ties, mm-hmm. f- five o'clock. Um, just got off from work coming out of the hospital and um, here we are talking about the Lord. And he said um, have you ever prayed the prayer of salvation? I said no I've never prayed the prayer of salvation but I was born and raised in the church mm-hmm. and uh, he said well do you mind praying the prayer of salvation with me? And we prayed the prayer of salvation and um he became my mentor, even though I went to another church that he went to. Mm-hmm. He became my mentor early on. And it was, it was just a wonderful time um, of growing and learning. Um, and th- that was during the time when the promise keepers were was yes, really I big. Remember those, yeah. Yeah. And uh, we went to a lot of those conferences mm-hmm. and whatnot. You know, they, they were all about um, men becoming godly men. Right. And so God was answering that part of my prayer as well. And then uh, probably about a year later, that's when I met my wife. Um, She was in medical school up at Ohio State. Um, And and we met on Easter Sunday. And so we were married. What's her name? Shamal. Okay. Yes. And so. uh,
0: Did Did you know right away?
1: She saw me before I saw her. Okay. And she told her mother about me about maybe six months. And her, her mom was like, you need to, because we went to a mega church. We had about 4,000 people at our church. And her, her mom was like, well, he's not going to know who you are. You have to introduce yourself. And she was like, Southern girls, she's from New Orleans. Southern girls don't introduce <laughs> themselves. And her mom was like, well, how is he going get, to get to meet you? Well, on Easter Sunday, Um, I was by the water fountain. Little did I know, her best friend said, I'm tired of you talking about this guy. We're not going to leave this church until you're (laughs) going there. And so when I finished drinking water, I looked behind me, and she was right there. And then we... um,
0: The courtship began. courtship
1: began. Mm -hmm. But I tell you, I knew soon, I knew within the first few weeks that this was the one. Mm. Yeah. So um, she did her medical school. I accepted my calling to ministry. I would work at Pfizer during the day. And at night, I would drive 45 minutes to Delaware, Ohio, to take my seminary classes at the Methodist Theological School of Ohio. The the courses I couldn't take at night, I would use my vacation time in summer to take summer courses. Mm -hmm. And um, it it was just a wonderful time of, of learning Growing in the Lord, uh, we just met some wonderful people, and so that's a little bit about my background. Thing. Well,
0: usually in, uh, in a minister's early years, uh, there are some <clears throat> unique stories of uh, deliverance, of God coming on the scene and showing up big in situations that when you're trying to start a church or it's your first pastorate and, and you're trying to feel your way into the ministry— uh, maybe an example or two of where you saw him really uh, come to your rescue and in, in that regard. So,
1: and you're absolutely right. That those things happen for me in seminary and in ministry. Um, being a newlywed and um, going to school at night, my wife and I, and she in medical school, we didn't have much money. We didn't have much resources. And, um In my first class, I was sitting in the back of the class, um, not listening to the teacher. I was calculating my bills to see if I was going to be able to be in seminary the next year. Mm A lot of our friends said, well, what you should do is just wait until your wife finishes school. Then you can go back to seminary. But that's that's not what God told me and um you know what Phil I got I had never gotten a scholarship never gotten financial aid before the lord blessed me after my first year of seminary he blessed me with a full ride
0: wow that's a huge a full, answer to prayer a huge answer to prayer yeah. i like academic especially for especially a newlywed
1: especially for a
0: newlywed mm-hmm.
1: and um it was just phenomenal one of the scholarships was through an organization called the American Baptist women. And they would send us money periodically. It would send, um, like $20 this week, maybe $50 the next week. They brought us a microwave, I'm telling you that micro late lasted twenty years. Really? Yes. I mean, so the how God would just show up, I would go to my <clears throat> mailbox at, at seminary and someone would have written me out a check for three to five hundred dollars to buy my books.
0: Out of nowhere.
1: Out of nowhere. So one of the things that God shows ministers early on. Is that he will take if you serve him, he, he will take care of you financially.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He I mean this full scholarship, which all my seminary and classmates, they had debt when they finished. Mm-hmm. I had I had no debt. So God did a mighty, mighty miracle. And he showed me then that when you follow me, you trust me. I'll take care of you. And like I said, I had never gotten financial aid, I guess, because of my parents' income or never gotten a scholarship before. And so it just took care of everything. And so it was just remarkable.
0: When When you look back and you're able to put your finger on specific times in your life when you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, God came through for me there. You know, I was, I I was in a desperate state of affairs. Yes. And he came up with an answer for me. And, and that just builds your faith, even if you're a pastor.
1: Yes, absolutely. And so I can tell Mm -hmm. people with confidence. So this was, this was the decision because a fellow, I just said like this strong Christian said, well, if you don't tithe then you'd be able to pay your own way.
0: But hope you didn't listen to that. I didn't
1: listen to that. God, my pastor had just taught on tithing and Mm -hmm. trusting God and my wife's and I saw as a young couple, what God would do if, when you put him first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so,
0: what a foundation! So, yes. that those were sort of the early years of of setting the stage for you, for your ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, where where did you go from Columbus?
1: So, um, my wife and I we graduated around the same time. Um, my graduation was in May; hers was in June, and um, I was selected to be the first African-American to preach the baccalaureate, the combined Mm -hmm. services. Mm -hmm. And so that was another miracle that God did. It's a great honor. And I, um, but after that we had been praying about where she would do her residency. And um, we knew we wanted to be close to home, but we didn't feel led to go back to each other's hometown. Mm -hmm. So we prayed about it and, Uh, We researched and found out about Columbus. And um, so Columbus would be a halfway point just about between Augusta, which is about three and a half, four hours, and Mm -hmm. New Orleans about five and a half, six hours. Mm -hmm. And so we interviewed with uh, what was then the Columbus Regional um, Family Practice, and we felt a strong urging that the Lord was bringing us here to Columbus. And uh, so we came here under the auspices that we would only be here for three years in her residency because I wanted to go back to Atlanta and pastor church there and be an adjunct professor at Morehouse. That mm-hmm. was my, my dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the way the Lord had it was that Columbus uh, has become our home. Yeah. And uh it's been a blessing. It's been a blessing.
0: So I know um I'm not sure about uh I think it was the early two thousands, but you uh founded a church here, the Emmanuel Christian Community Church, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Was that your first uh pastorate?
1: That was my first pastorate. Um so the Lord um had me do another faith. Mm-hmm thing he, he he's, had, he's good at that he's good <laughs> at that he's good at that and matter of fact I'm teaching at my church on faith right now okay and uh you know what people want to do they want to see it mm-hmm. but God asks you to step out on things you don't see and so God asked me to found this church and um he asked me to leave Pfizer um and uh so I obeyed God matter of fact my wife was I was kind of wondering you know how's gonna pay how are we gonna pay these bills and uh, my wife was like hey, have you put in your letter of resignation yet <laughs> is she you know she's been with me and behind me 100 percent um and so we founded the church uh, the first Sunday in December of 03, our first service, we had over 100 people. We founded it in the Liberty Theater in Columbus. Really? Yes. Historic start. The historic start. Uh, yeah. And, um, But I wasn't concerned about the first service because our family, uh, my wife's family, chartered a, a bus from New Orleans and came that was about 60 people mm-hmm. and then the rest was my friend augusta from augusta coming over yeah and uh i was concerned about the next sunday <laughs> <laughs> so I feel the next sunday we had uh 100 minus 90 we had 10 people and and that's how we started and uh the the lord has been faithful through the years um i um uh, he has blessed us, and he brought we're not a large church now, but let me tell you, we're large in spirit, we have some wonderful people and um it was during the first few years of the ministry <coughs> that um I got into the chaplaincy um my wife, when she was a resident, she would go down uh to the chapel they would have uh, 10 o'clock prayer and a brief sermon and 10 o'clock prayer. Mm-hmm. And um, the guy who was the chief uh, the chaplain director s- so happened they were looking for a chaplain. And my wife said, well, my husband has his master's of divinity and, um, you know, he'd be a great chaplain. And so I came in for the interview, but I told the gentleman who was the chaplain director i said hey i'm i just been accepted at gordon conwell to do my doctorate and um i would love to take this job but i have to complete this degree Uh, gordon conwell is the um, seminary founded by billy graham and billy graham had been closely associated with that um, in north carolina they have a um uh, residents in Boston they have a school in Boston and also in North Carolina okay. uh, Charlotte and um and the guy he said you know what I'm I was thinking about going there too so they hired me and um and both of us went and got our degrees from there really? yeah he he came in the second year mm-hmm. after I started and then Phil he, here it is again the Lord opened up where after my first year of walking on faith, you know, to pay that tuition, the Lord gave me another scholarship for my doctoral degree.
0: You're a blessed man. <laughs> yes, That's
1: I fantastic. am. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. And, and he blesses the faithful. He, he blesses the people that have faith. In in 2021, not that many people have, have that faith. The Bible says the Lord looks to and fro. He's mm-hmm. watching. If anybody ever, People always ask me, what do you think the Lord is doing right now? I know what he's doing. He's looking. His eyes are scanning the whole earth, looking for anybody that has faith. But what happens today, because of technology, the cell phones? You know, we see so much. People want to see it before they believe it, mm-hmm. but that's not how God works. He wants you to believe it mm-hmm. before he see before you see it.
0: And so that'll and, preach. <laughs> I think I'm preaching right now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're a minister, and <laughs> and that's what you do. But you did mention that uh, you know that you uh, were a chaplain, and then and and one of the main reasons you're here tonight is to talk about being the senior chaplain at Piedmont Columbus Regional. How yes. did that come about?
1: Well, um, my wife um, said to the chaplain director at the time, my husband um, has his master's of divinity, happened to be looking for a chaplain, and so I applied, and they they hired me, and now. 15 years later, now going on 16 years later. Wow. And I'm going to tell a good you, it's been, it's been a great relationship. Um, and each stage, Columbus Regional has gone through different stages. When I first was hired, it was Columbus Regional. The people call it the Medical Center. Right. Now it's Piedmont. It's, it's been great all the way through. Um, great leadership. Right now, uh, we've been led by... A gentleman by the name of Scott Hill, he's doing a great job through the pandemic. Kevin Brown is our CEO at the corporate level out of Atlanta. But Scott has done a great job in, in helping the hospital to help meet the needs of this community. It, it's been, and it's just been great. Um, I can honestly say that during this pandemic, I've been able to do some of my best chaplain work ever. Um, my first week, Phil, and I'm sure you covered this. My first week on the job, and I'll never forget this was the doctor's hospital shooting.
0: Wow! Yes, remember that. That was
1: my horrible fir- first week on the job. And matter of fact, on that Friday, I just asked my manager. I had a good friend of mine I hadn't seen in a long time. He was in town on business, and I said, "Could I?" I asked, "Could I take an extended lunch?" Because my friend was coming down, we we're gonna go to Red Lobster. Well, we were at Red Lobster when that happened. And I just ordered my food and I got a page come back over to the hospital. There's been a, a tragedy. And um
0: describe for folks that may be listening that don't recall what happened that day.
1: We had a, a active shooter come in, um and shoot employees and patients and uh, it was just mayhem it looked like something out of a movie Mm -hmm. and um when it was over you know the chaplains we had to minister we called over chaplains from saint francis Mm -hmm. we called over the ministers from the pastoral institute to help us to triage Mm -hmm. the people spiritually um it looked like a war zone and um, but that really shaped my chaplaincy. That that formed how I would be a chaplain. Because from that point on, when I minister as a chaplain, I minister to the patient and their family. But I also make a point to minister to the caregiver, the nurse, the doctor, the people that that deal with the trauma. And so that, that event, something good, God used something good out of that tragedy to help shape because most of the time when people call the chaplains all over the country, they just minister to the family and to the patients. Mm -hmm. But that trained me to minister to the staff. And we modeled that. I modeled my chaplaincy after the military chaplain who would be out there in the trenches with the soldiers providing that spiritual care and prayers. So that's what I do for the staff, the doctors, the nurses at Piedmont. I'm praying for them, the executives. They don't even know it, but I'm praying for them. Mm -hmm.
0: This past year, uh, and, and we're coming, you know, have just passed the one year anniversary of, of COVID and the lockdown. And, but, um, People were faced with fear, Mm -hmm. um, loneliness. Hospitals eventually got to the place to where visitors weren't allowed. Even family members, Mm -hmm. you know, of patients weren't allowed. Mm -hmm. Which, one of the first things that comes to your mind if you are sick or have a loved one who's sick in the hospital is we need somebody to pray. Mm -hmm. We need somebody to come alongside us here and, and, um, you know, minister to us. Mm which if pastors can't get in to see their own congregation members, uh, that shifted a huge burden on the shoulders of the chaplaincy in, these, in the hospitals. I've done stories earlier with the St. Francis chaplains, and, and tell me what that experience was like as you led the charge at Piedmont.
1: It's been an incredible blessing in this way to be used by the Lord to be a liaison between the patient and their families, the patient and their pastors. I've I've fielded hundreds of calls over, over the past year from family members saying, can you go see my loved one? Or from pastors saying, I'm not able to see my loved one. Can you go see them? Can you pray for them? And even in the midst of tragedy, I found so much satisfaction and joy being a liaison, being being a vessel of the Lord, uh, be, being a, a contact and a conduit for the community and their loved one. Um, my job, we had to use creativity. We had to pivot. Pivot is a a basketball word, Um, and I I write about this. I I wrote three books during the, the pandemic. I write about this in a chaplain training book I've done. When you pivot, you can still score even though you're not able to move. So we had to pivot by using technology, FaceTime, Skype, Facebook. And let me tell you, you know, we were talking earlier, Phil, I'm not one of those techies. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I fought technology. <laughs> I'm with you, brother. And I work in television. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> But I'm a dinosaur when it comes yeah, to technology. Yeah. Uh,
1: until this happened. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget the first time I had to pray with a family through FaceTime. I was so upset because as a pastor, as a chaplain, you used to being right there with the people giving them an appropriate touch on the forearm, Mm -hmm. appropriate hand held, Mm -hmm. praying with them. Mm -hmm. I couldn't do that. But Phil, when I FaceTime a person and they were crying and sobbing, like I was just, I was right there. I said, okay, God, we can pivot with this technology. Mm -hmm. We can use this. Mm -hmm. And it's been a very effective tool in, in doing ministry. Um, I can't tell you the hundreds of people that I've had to pray for and they would just tell me by text, you just really helped us. You really blessed our family. So, mm
0: -hmm. well, another part and, and you touched on it that, 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 that has led to the way that you have approached this past year from what happened at doctor's hospital, uh, 15 years ago. But, um, having to uh remember that while families are facing the crisis and and covid and and the loneliness um you've got staff and people who are suddenly thrown into um an extreme situation that requires more hours more uh you know nurses and and even doctors in some cases they're they're there for you up to the end but usually that's when the family and the minister comes in to to ease that part of the transition and 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 suddenly the staff members are the ones who are being I'm sure looked upon as that's the only face in the room can you come and help you know pray for me can you call the chaplain and, and have him come so uh, again the families, the patients, but also the staff and the doctors that were having to do this extraordinary, heroic effort in in the scheme of the, in the face of this monster of COVID. Um, that, tell me about how, how y'all went about making sure that the staff knew that you were there for them too.
1: Early on, my man, I got the word, that Scott Hill, our CEO, said, "Tell Marlon to be ready. Tell tell the chaplains to be ready." He he could envision what was going to happen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Throughout the years, on a on occasion, you know, throughout the fifteen years, when there was a, a trauma or there was something that happened at a at a different at a department, nothing global like we're experiencing now, but different segments of the hospital, I would go and give presentations to the staff. Not to the whole hospital, but just to different departments, mm-hmm. you know, on an as-needed basis. Well, uh, our CEO said, we want you to give these presentations. Y- you and and the chaplains to all the departments. And, um, I had already had a presentation that I was doing. Well, it was three, what to do when you're hanging on by a thread, hope in a time of crisis and faith. Well, I combined it and I called it. It's not selfish to take care of yourself. And, um, myself and the other chaplain, Sandra Tyler, we went and scheduled appointments with all the areas of the hospital. And we gave these presentations. Um, Hers was entitled In Search for Meaning and Significance. And mine was um, It's Not Selfish to Take Care of Yourself because down south, people think is selfish to take care of themselves I've heard this a th- I heard this a thousand times in my 20 years here I don't want to pray a selfish prayer where when you unpack that from the south I don't want to pray for myself I'd rather pray for other people mm-hmm. but you have to pray for yourself and here's the analogy that I and I've given this talk Hundreds of times in fifteen years, but this is this is the crux of it. When you're on a, uh, when you fly on your favorite airline, um, the stewardess is going to preach the same sermon all the time. And oftentimes, my church would say, "Pastor, mm, you, you preached that sermon before. Why, why'd you preach that again?" It's like it's important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, the stewardess preaches the same sermon. Heaven forbid if something happens. And that oxygen mask comes out, take a breath before you do anything else. Make sure you t- take a breath. Why do they do that? Because somebody from the south is going to be on that <laughs> plane. <laughs> and they're going to try to start helping everybody else. In less than a minute, they passed out on the floor. And so the same thing applies to COVID. You have to take care of yourself. The nurses and the doctors and the staff—they have to make sure they take care of themselves because if they don't, the chaplains have to take care of themselves. If we don't take care of ourselves, then who's going to be there to take care of the patients? And so, I wanted to communicate to our our staff that it's not selfish when you when you go home, you have to take care of yourself. Many people uh, with COVID globally across the country, suffering with depression, suffering with suicidal thoughts. Even in the midst of the depression, people still have bills. People still have problems. And so I, I write about, I chronicle that, and, and I put it in a book. Um, it's not selfish to take care of yourself. And um, it's just been a blessing.
0: You can hold it up. Show it to your camera there. There we go.
1: That's the, it's not selfish to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And then this is the first book I wrote uh, back in December called change your language, change your life. God told me to write this book. He said, I don't want it to be small. I don't want it to be large. Mm -hmm. He said, I want this book to be like Mike Tyson. You know, Mike Tyson was a short heavyweight. Mm -hmm. He was five, eight, most heavyweights are like six, three, six, five, Mm -hmm. but he carried a powerful punch. This is a little book, but it, it carries a powerful punch. And, field um it it set records with my publisher but the thing that really gets me is when people come up to me with tears in their eyes saying how this book helped change their mindset and perspective and and both of them are talking about faith
0: tell us about the uh the the cliff note version of the message behind the the change your life uh, change your language
1: the cliff notes version of this is i noticed when i was a high school athlete um that how people talk really affect how they live their lives we were at this very important city track meet in the in augusta i don't know if they still have it but it was called the optimist that's when in uh, the optimist club mm-hmm. sponsored it they sponsored it and all the um, teams from the Augusta area would come. Well, I'm at the starting line. I was a, a hurdler. Um, I had gone to the state.
0: You're not tall enough to be a hurdler. I, I
1: know, right? That, see, that's another faith thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's another. That <laughs> was pretty good.
0: You were probably a high hurdler, too. I was. <laughs> see,
1: all of these things helped build my faith. <laughs> so I'm at the starting blocks. And these two guys who looked just as strong or stronger than me, they looked at me and said, don't beat us by too much. So at 16 years of age, I'm like, these two guys, yeah, they had already talked themselves out of winning. winning." So I agreed with them. I said, well, (laughs) since you think I'm going to beat you, I'm going to beat you, and I did. But that stuck with me. Because I, f- from then on, I just listened to how people talk.
0: Mm-hmm. Power of the tongue.
1: The power of the tongue, and a lot of people, in in the South, poor talking. A lot of people talk themselves out of their destiny. Oh, uh, that's a nice tie. That's a nice shirt. Oh, this old thing. Uh, this this is nothing. Mm-hmm. No, you, you, you paid hard. That's your hard earned money. That's a nice tie that you have on. That's a nice shirt, but see people's, what they believe about themselves. So when you change it, when you speak life, when you speak positivity, you get that back. You know.
0: And that, especially in a, a year of the pandemic. Yes. Was, uh, a good way to change the mindset, absolutely. Yeah.
1: because a lot of people, they spoke that they were going to die. Mm-hmm. But let's let's change that. Let's speak that God is going to have us live. Psalm one eighteen, I shall live and not die. That we speak, just like you and I. When we I was listening to you, Phil. Both of us, you said we're going to have a great show. I said we're going to have a great show. See we spoke it mm-hmm. that, that that's what's happened that but if somebody comes in I'm open and <laughs> we oh, got to get through the next hour get i this. hope you got something yeah, I I you, yeah, go. <laughs> yeah that's gonna be torture yeah you yeah. know when i what's the gentleman's name that's the weather guy
0: bob Jeswell. Bob Jeswal.
1: Mm-hmm. he said pastor i can tell when you walked in you had that energy you mm-hmm. had that see that's what that's what we have to bring because that's what the world wants to see. You know, that that extra. That we can't talk how the world, you know, the sky's fall Chicken little. Uh-huh. No, we got to be. We can make it. Uh-huh. We can get through this. You know, I tell people, I said, a hundred years ago in the pandemic, they got through it without all the technology. That we. Somebody believed they could get through it. Well, by golly we're going to get through it. Th- that has to be our mindset, you know. So, so that's where that's where this book comes from.
0: What was a if you if if there were some moments um examples of um, how God came on the scene and 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 performed some miraculous things for people that uh, you were ministering to during the course of this in in the in the hospital or any anything come to mind there
1: yeah uh a lot of things and you know uh we have the hipaa so i can't be too specific sure. with but um patients that i prayed for at, at the hospital we have when people when covid patients are leaving mm-hmm. we play the rocky song okay and so Mm -hmm. And so when that comes on and then I can look and say, wait a minute, I I pray for that patient, you know, and they're, and they're, they're leaving, they're being discharged. So there have been some, some bright spots. People, um, they always ask me, you know, you got a hard job. How can you do that? It, It does get hard at times, but I look for the bright spots, you know the, the the bright spots are the things that that keep me going. The, I, I look for the miracles, and, and God has God has done it. He, I, I've seen miracles. I've seen Him heal people. I've seen pe- people come in and they would be on the vent, and and um, and then God do a miracle. Mm-hmm.
0: So what a year that there yeah. was a TV show at one point. Um, may not be old enough to remember, but it was called, uh, that was the year that was. And it would be a look back on, you know, what all had transpired the previous year. Mm -hmm. But uh, there'll be a lot of writing about uh, 2020 and and the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, You're a pastor of a church. And you've been there since 2003 and you founded it. How did y'all manage during the pandemic? All churches had to suddenly... Mm -hmm when they were uh, in a situation of not being able to gather and, and do the things, that th- that's what church is about. It's, right. It's a, a congregation, people mm-hmm. coming together, mm-hmm. and then suddenly you were faced with um, how do you do this during this virus? Uh, what was the reaction, and, and how, did you, how did you as a church and pastor survive it?
1: So I'm, I'm very conservative when it comes to things of faith and things like that. Um, we have gone totally virtual and I write about this in, in my chaplain training book that I wrote, what, what people do at churches, that's what transmit the virus, the singing, you know, the particles go out and the preaching, the shaking hands, the hugging you know, and so, um, and I understand, trust me, I understand why why some pastors um, never did quarantine. They've always had, I, I understand why some are going back because that's what we do. Um, our church, I have to say, we're doing better now than before the pandemic. because so we have... Um, members who have joined us from other parts of the city, other part of the state, other part of the country. We've even had people from Canada using technology to zoom in or Mm -hmm. uh, YouTube into our services. And um, I just feel like um, this new normal is here to stay. I don't think we're. Gonna, <laughs> I don't think it's going to be the same. I think we're in a whole new world. It, it may be some vestiges of the old, but I believe that um, Facebook Church, YouTube Church, Zoom Church, Instagram Church, Twitter Church, I believe that's here to stay. I don't. I don't believe the mask and all. I don't believe that's going anywhere. Um, so, um, but we, I tell you, I'm so proud of, uh, people at our church, what we have done on Saturday, Saturday at noon, we do a teleconference prayer where we've been praying ever since we've been praying at noon, people call in. And I just I pray for twenty five to thirty minutes, covering everything that's going on in the world, asking for protection from the coronavirus, and asking God to bless marriages, bless families, and all. all right. We've been doing that for a year. Um, then we have three services on Sunday. We have seven thirty prayer where people call in. We have eight thirty Bible study where people call in for that, and then we have Zoom. Uh, worship service and it's been phenomenal on thursday um normally uh i would be doing bible study now by zoom but i i explained to everybody that i'm coming down here they were all excited about that so i'm sure <laughs> they're gonna watch uh this um when it you know when it comes on y'all's website uh-huh. or whatever but it, it's just been phenomenal it, and um then we will have once a month drive by prayer where um our church would just, they'll just drive by my house, and I just offer a blessing over the families and whatnot. Um, we've had several graduations. Um, my son, he was the t- in the twenty twenty class of Columbus High. We had another gentleman, Desi um, King, who was in the twenty twenty class. Our church did drive bys, you know, for their houses and gave them the gifts that way. Mm-hmm. It was really cool so um I you know my church knows and I'm just real conservative about that when and everybody's been vaccinated and all the numbers are safe and we'll we'll go back but um right now you know we're doing just fine uh virtually and uh, I know I know some churches didn't make it during the pandemic uh um a lot of pastors succumbed. I have, I know some pastors who succumbed to I too. It. And, um, but by the grace of God, you know, we, we're, we're doing better than ever. And I just want to thank God for that. And, um, his, his grace and his mercy. And with that attitude of faith, you know, we're going to make it through. We're going to see it through and uh, just praying for our country and praying for our community and, you know, k- keeping the faith. We got, we got to keep the faith. <laughs>
0: well, tell me, as a, a pastor and as a chaplain, um, what did the Lord teach you this past year through this? That's a great question.
1: He taught me that he can bless you even in the midst of a pandemic. We all can point to the bad things that have happened. But Phil, it has been some, I've seen God do some amazing things. Yeah. Um, I don't think that you and I would be talking today if it weren't for the pandemic. I know my the book, Hard Times... Hard times brings your personal faith, it brings out the best. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would have written these books mm-hmm. if everything was going fine. Because God told me to write some books <laughs> a few years back and I kept saying, Okay, I, I'll, I'll get, get to it. I get to it, I'll get to mm-hmm. it. But in these hard times, you know, I said, Okay, I'll I'll do it, Lord. It's like that that lump of coal and you shave it down and however that process goes, that pressure, and then here it, the diamond comes. So I've seen that. And, and that's, I can have an encouraging word for anybody listening that's going through the hard times Produce that character. It, it produced that the precious quality, that, that resiliency. Um, I, I've seen that. I've seen that in 2020. I've seen that in 2021, that the people who keep the faith, that the people who don't give up, that the people who speak in faith, that God can do some remarkable things, and I've seen it, Phil. I've seen it. That's what he taught me.
0: It has been um, a remarkable year as you look back, and, and in each of our personal lives, we could give, personal examples of things, mm-hmm. it has been one of the hardest years professionally for me mm-hmm. um, to uh, day in and day out be reporting about a virus mm-hmm. uh, and the, the negative impacts you know, that it's had. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I can also know that um, the Lord strengthened me in ways that had that not come about uh, some of my quiet times and some of my uh, devotional times, mm-hmm. it's they've been strengthened and and are more powerful in, internally today than maybe they were, you know, a year ago.
1: Yes. Right. And I can say this too, Phil. I was a little too busy before the pandemic, mm-hmm.
0: you know. Mm-hmm. Um you're stepping on toes now.
1: Yeah. Speeding, speeding through Columbus. Like, you know, why, why am I driving? So what, f- what, where, where what, you know, going to this meeting, going here, going there, doing this. And that, that pandemic, it, it slowed me down uh-huh. to really smell the roses to really appreciate the Im- important things in life. Family. Your wife, your children, mm-hmm. your, your good friends, you know. And in time, I believe the Lord has allowed time to stand still for us. F- for the people who could really appreciate it, say, you know what? I I don't have to go out. I can I can enjoy home. Mm-hmm. I can enjoy, you know. Everything I need is in the
0: house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amen. Mm-hmm. This is good. This was a good hour. And believe it or not, it's all. It, it, is it? We're, we're, see, we're about to wrap see, it up. Here. Time flies when you're having fun.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we we spoke
0: it, Phil. We did. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we said. We would be saying we're going to need Man. to resume yes. for a second hour next week. Yes. But, uh, you have. um I th- I, f- I know for a fact that you've, you've blessed people who have listened to your testimony, to uh, what you have done professionally, both at, as a chaplain as well as a minister to your congregation and for the community. Thank you for what you do. It takes a special heart to do what you do, um, to put yourself in a position of basically wanting to um, bring other people's problems and make them yours. And, and try to, to help them understand, too, that they don't have to carry the load themselves. They can depend on people like you and their pastor, their, mm-hmm. their friends, and certainly the Lord's not going to leave them, you know, and forsake them mm-hmm. at, at the, in these desperate times. But thank you for, um, for sharing your heart and being my guest here tonight. This has been real special. And we talked about I didn't know you. Uh, we had a phone conversation yesterday, which may have been the first time we ever talked. And then certainly within this past hour, face to face, but I've made a, a new friend and a, uh, a special friend tonight. Thank you for being, um, uh, who you are and doing what you do and continue to, to, to keep on keeping on and, and doing what you're doing to, to make this a better place.
1: Thank you, Phil. I, I've enjoyed it. And I look forward to us getting together, uh, again and, um, Tell your son I said hello, Scott. I sure and um, I just want to thank you for having me. And um, like I said, um, you didn't know me, but I felt like I knew you. <laughs> you. You've been in our homes for over 20 years, and thank you for what you do. You do it with a lot of class in delivering thank the you. news. And may God continue to bless you okay. and your family.
0: He, he has done that. And I, I covet your prayers. Thank you so much for joining us here tonight. And again, we're here every Thursday night, 7 o'clock, and uh, are, are just thankful that we have guests like Dr. Scott willing to come on and hopefully give you some insight into their uh, lives and that what they say will bless your life. We will remind you, uh, number one, that this show wouldn't happen if it weren't for Dylan Hansen, our director hey, sitting Dylan. right here beside me. Um, he knows exactly how to, uh, to do the technical side of this which uh, we're thankful for. But as I always say at this time, uh, whatever you're going through in this world, always remember, keep the faith. Good night.